We're in the last book of the Bible, chapter 1, if you'd like to turn with us, please, for two verses. The last book of the Bible, the very first chapter. And then I'm going to ask you to turn with me, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, Revelation chapter number 1, please. I don't have two sermons, I just want to ask you to turn to these two places. And I am aware that we, us Baptists, get out at a particular time. On Sunday morning, I was a pastor for over 20 years. And I'm mindful of that, so I'll try to keep my eye on the watch this morning. I don't preach but half as long in the morning services as I do in the evening. And those of you that have heard me in the evening, you know that'll be a relief to hear that this morning. I was in Oklahoma City preaching where I go four or five times a year. And after the fifth night, I'd been there in a Bible conference, and they had very little music. They'd just have a congregational song, and then they would have a special song. And then they'd have the speaker to come, and the preacher would say, just take all the time that you want. And uh, that's a little dangerous to tell the average preacher that. So after five nights, we were standing in front shaking hands with some folks, and a little fella couldn't have been over six years of age. If he is that old, little bitty guy, he is standing looking up in my face and I said, did you want to say something to me, son? He said, yes, sir. I said, what's on your mind? He said, it takes you a long time to get on, don't it? <laughs> Just turn and walked away. So I think he is trying to tell me that those sermons were just too long for him. So I'm going to be mindful of that. My heart is blessed, and I'm grateful for the privilege, and I'm glad that you invited me back, and I appreciate God permitted me to come and spend this Lord's Day with you. And uh, the presence of God is very evident. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And times of refreshings come from His presence. We're grateful for that. And the good music has been Christ-honoring. And it's been touched by His Spirit. And it's touched our hearts. We're grateful. I never cease to be amazed how God puts the message in music. And the message that He puts on our hearts, how He puts it together. And I'm grateful. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. John's been taken to this place because of his testimony and because of his stand for the Word of God. And while he's there, uh, the Lord gives him the last book of the canon of Scripture. He tells us about his encounter with the risen, glorified Lord. Verse 17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. I call our attention to that little expression, the first words that came from our Lord when John fell at his feet. He said, Fear not. Fear not. Acts 23, for some more scripture, please. 
Acts chapters 22, 3, 4 long here are chapters that are tied together, really. So I want to just break in and use a few verses this morning for our consideration. Chapter 23, the book of Acts, and verse 1, Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? They that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, that is, I knew not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived the one part were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm called in question. When he had so said, there arose a dissension between Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. There arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And there arose a great dissension. The chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him before us from among them to bring him to the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Shall we bow, please, for a moment of quietness and we ask the Lord to just by His power and His Spirit take His Word and speak as only He can. Our Father, we are grateful for the privilege that's ours again to open Thy Word. And we pray for the Spirit's help this morning. We are conscious of our need. Not by might nor by power, but by Thy Spirit, You tell us. And the preachers already said, unless you touch our meetings, they're in vain. They're boring, they're empty, they're dry unless God comes. And our Father, we, we're grateful for the sense of your presence in the music. We bless you for it. Our hearts have been blessed. Our hearts have been warm. And now I need you to stand with me this morning. Lord, I've said to you already there in the room, I'd rather not stand here this morning if I was not conscious of your presence. Lord, these dear people have come here expecting to hear from thee. And they have a right to. And I pray thee now, in mercy and be gracious to us, take thy word and speak in power. And we'll be careful to praise you and bless you for it. Amen. I call our attention this morning in particular for the few minutes we'll take to three verses. That'll be verses 11, 6, and 1. Verses 11, 6, and 1, and let's read an expression in verse 11 again. Text says, The night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou 
bear witness also at Rome. If you'd give me the liberty to paraphrase that little expression, he literally said, take courage, Paul. Be courageous, Paul. Be of good cheer. I was in a Bible conference back a while ago, and I was seated on the platform before I was to be introduced to speak that evening. They have two speakers in most of the conferences, and I was speaking in the last part of the service. And I came from the front and sat here with the preacher, and he said something like this to me. He said, Brother Hurt, to our left, and he described uh, so many rows back, and he said the man with the little fellow beside of him there is our head deacon. And I said, yes, sir, I'm aware of that. He said, I'd like these days that you're with us, as there are three days, I'd like for you to put him on a special prayer uh, list, if you would, and just hold him up, said, and the preacher's voice choked with emotion. He was burdened for him. He said he's going through the, the darkest hour he's ever gone through in his life. He said, we buried his companion less than two weeks ago. I glanced back at him. He said, that's their only child. I'd have guessed him to have been maybe nine. I learned say it without being boastful. She is one of the most Christ-like people I'd ever been around. The pastor had already told me that. Pastor said to me, that couple's one of the most committed couples in our church. One of the most dedicated. He said, Brother Hurt, only God knows how many times my wife has cried out in her prayer time, Lord, save my family. Lord, don't let my loved ones go to hell. He said, she has members of her immediate families lost. And said, up to this point, they'd never listen. You couldn't even get them interested. But he said, now God's got their attention through the home going of my wife. And here's what he was asking for. He said, Brother Hurt, I must not let my wife down. I must be a good testimony. I must be a light in this dark hour. He didn't tell me this. The preacher did. They were successful business people. Preacher said that it seemed like everything they'd touched turned to gold, and God had wonderfully blessed them, and they were very committed Christians, but they were very successful business folk. He said something like this. He said, when we'd try to witness, they wouldn't say it to us, you know, to our face, but they'd say something like this. Well, no wonder they go to church and serve God. Look, look at what he has done for them. But he said, now the feedback is coming. They're saying something like this. Let's watch him now. Let's see how he copes. Let's see if God stands with him. Let's see, let's see if he can stay calm and let's see if indeed he can make it through this crisis hour he's in. And that's exactly what he said to him. If you looked in his face and heard his voice, I tell you, his heart was being expressed in his voice. And he said, Brother Hurt, can you help me so I can be a good testimony? Can you give me some verses? I must not let my wife down. I must be able to live in such a way they can see God's grace in me even through this dark hour. I repeat, less than two weeks, his wife had been taken out there in very short illness and, and the autopsy they, they run, didn't really, it was rather a mysterious death. She was just, and here they are in their late 30s, early 40s, I guess, and, and just been taken like that. And now he, he's with that little boy and saying to a preacher, can you help me? I write in my Bible when I read and God speaks to me. I have two or three notes here. One of them is staying calm in the midst of conflict. Another is sailing through the stormy seas. Another is staying courageous in that time of conflict or here coping with crises. 
I just read that. I try to read certain places daily. I like to read through certain books every month. I found if I read a chapter in Acts every day, that'll take me monthly through this book that I need to stay in touch with. I just read this, and I'd written across the bottom of this Bible here, coping with crises. How do you make it through those? Those times when it just seems like the bottom has fallen out. I mean, how do you make it when it just looks like the whole thing is just caving in on you? Is there a way you can keep from pushing panic buttons? Is there a way you can keep biting your fingernails? And is there a way to keep from screaming and just running? He said, Brother Hurt, they are, they are watching me now. God's got their attention. He said, my wife used to pray. And the very expression he used, my wife has prayed, Lord, whatever it takes, please save my family. He said, if it took her going home to get their attention, I must not let her down. Whether we realize it or not, people are watching us. Lost people don't read the Bible, they read our lives. And so what... What do we do? How do you make it? I'd preached years ago from this text, and I, I, I entitled it then, Facing the Trials of Life. Paul is facing one of the most severe trials I guess he ever had to face. Granted, it's a literal trial. I mean, this is the point they threatened to pull him into. And yet, right in the midst of it, someone stands by him and speaks to him and says, Paul, you can be courageous. Paul, you don't have to go to pieces. Paul, you don't have to panic. There is a way you can cope with this crisis. And I suggest three ingredients that Paul had in his life. I just mentioned them and I illustrate the last one. I believe they're in reach of every one of us this morning. I really do. I think every ingredient that enabled him to be the, be the testimony and be the good witness, and here we are years later, and, and, uh, and we're getting strength from it. And I sat there and showed my, my he's a deacon in that church, showed that dear brother. And I said to him, let's look at Paul's conscience in verse 1. Let's look at Paul's confidence in verse 6. And basically, let's, look, let's see Paul's companion in verse 11. Somebody with him. Somebody speaking to him. Someone that he's aware of. I said to that dear man after we prayed, I said, Brother, I don't know what you are doing now, but if you'll keep doing what you're doing, I said, I don't think I've ever sensed God's presence in power in somebody's life like I'm sensing it in your life. And I said, you'll be the light you ought to be if you'll just keep doing what you're doing. People around you, they may not know what terminology to use or how to express themselves, but if you're walking with the touch of God on you, even lost people knows there's something different. I tell you, they walk into the house of God, and if God's there in power, lost people just know God's there. Well, you don't have to wear a sign on your back and say, I, I'm some particular type of Christian. If you're spirit-filled and God's got His power on you, everybody around you will know it. Light doesn't have to toot a horn. You just turn light on in darkness and everybody sees it. So I said to him, as Paul had a good conscience, Paul had a great confidence, Paul had a gracious companion beside of him. Do you have those ingredients going for you this morning? Do I have those in my life? 
Look how he put it in verse 1. Paul, it's interesting to me, that little expression, Paul earnestly behold him. Literally, if you let me paraphrase again, it, it, it suggests almost a stare. He's the prisoner, but he's not intimidated. He's full of courage. He's so courageous, he intimidates the high priest. Well, the high priest, when, when Paul said, men and brethren, I've lived before God with a good conscience to this day. Well, the high priest, he thunders back and says, smite him on the mouth. I think some of us may not see the force of that. See, what he's trying to do is intimidate Paul, humiliate Paul. The height of an insult in that day to a Jewish man was not take your fist and hit him, but just take an open hand and slap him right across the mouth like that. That was more of an insult than if you'd spit on him. And so here's, here's this high priest when Paul, see, Paul has been charged with being, uh, uh, being a, uh, some type of a heretic and one that has gone against God's teaching. And here he stands with such courage, earnestly beholding, means he looks them eyeball to eyeball, every one of those in that council, he just stares at them and said, men and brethren, I have a good conscience up to this day. And the high priest said, smite him on the mouth. And I repeat, that's a height of an insult to a Jewish man. I said that down in Atlanta area not long ago, and on the way out, there was a brother said to me, he said, Brother Hurt said, us Gentiles don't like it either, amen. <laughs> well, I'd say amen to that. But he's trying to humiliate him, insult him, put him down. And here's Paul. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. If you've got a good conscience, you don't go to pieces when things seemingly go wrong. You're not intimidated. You don't push, push panic buttons. It's conscience. If you have the lack of a good conscience, it makes a coward out of you. Bible says the righteous, those with a good conscience toward God, as bold as a lion. But the, the, the wicked flee when no man pursues them. I meet people all over this country. They're afraid, full of fear all the time. I mean, if they're not afraid of the past, they're afraid of tomorrow. They're afraid of everything. Just live in fear. You know what the problem is? It's conscience. Toward the holy God, they're not right. Oh, if you've got what the Bible calls a good conscience, and I won't take time to go in detail. I have a sermon that I just preach on, on the power of a good conscience. God's Word says much about a conscience. Not only good conscience, but a weak conscience, defiled conscience, evil conscience. But if you've got what this text says this morning is a good conscience, I suggest to you that'll be an ingredient that'll give you poise and peace and assurance and it'll help you cope even in the midst of a crisis. You say, what is a good conscience? Just turn one page and let me, let me see if I can illustrate verse 16. Paul of chapter 24. Paul says, herein do I exercise myself. Something he endeavored to do. He worked at it. What is it, Paul? He said to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Now listen carefully. If there's any human being could open those doors this morning and walk in here and just stop and get our attention and point their finger at me and say, Wilbur Hurt, you have wronged me and you have not righted that wrong, I suggest to you I cannot have a good conscience toward God unless I have a good conscience toward man. I know a lot of people, they're down, discouraged, full of fear, defeated, and when you begin to talk to them, they've wronged somebody. They're not right with their fellow man. Well, it's impossible to be right with God and to be wrong with man at the same time. Oh, if I wrong you this morning, and, and, and if I saw you coming into my presence, well, it'd intimidate me. It'd make me full of fear. I'd be nervous. You know why? I couldn't be bold. The word for bold and freedom and confidence is one and the same word in the Bible. 
reason sometimes there's no boldness, no confidence, no freedom. Oh, we're wrong toward God or we're wrong. Can you think of any human being if all of a sudden they came in your presence now, it unnerve you a little because you're wrong toward them? person came the other night and I was preaching this text and said, I got right. Brother Hurt said it was a, a nasty divorce. Told me, I believe, six years ago. And said, it turned nasty and I've had bitterness. And I, and said, I, I said, I, this, this person said, I said, I to hurt the other person. But said, really, I've lived away from God with that thing knowing. And said, I got right tonight and before the meeting was up, they came back and said, I made a telephone call and I'm right. That first day, uh, the first night, I could tell when I was preaching, their very countenance was, was saddened and, and defeated all over the face of that person. But the last night, oh, their countenance displayed boldness and confidence and freedom. You know why? They got a conscience right toward God, toward fellow man. Paul said, brethren, I've lived with a good conscience toward God. That's the first ingredient, the power of a good conscience. The second ingredient is the promise of a great confidence. Notice how he puts it down in verse 6. He, Paul says, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm called in question. He literally says, I'm on trial for my hope that the dead will rise again. Now the word hope, as you know, in the Bible, it's not used like we ordinarily use hope. We, we, we speak of hope. We sometimes think of, you know, something hope so, maybe. There's a possibility. But the word hope here is not used in the sense, uh, it's used in the sense of confidence, assurance, certainty. We talk about the second coming being our blessed hope. It doesn't mean a blessed maybe. It means a blessed assurance. And so the word hope here is used, and that's the reason I use the word confidence. It's used as a certainty. And here's a Paul, here's a man, the Apostle Paul, he's not going by feelings. See, most of us, don't let me throw you a curve, I'm not opposed to emotions and feelings, but most of us, if we're not careful, we make decisions solely on the basis how I feel about something. And feelings is the shallowest part of us, and God never does His deepest work in the shallowest part of us. It's not how we feel that keeps us going, it's what we know that keeps us going. There'll be times you won't quote unquote feel so good, perhaps. But if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And here's the apostle, not only with the power of a good conscience, here's the apostle with the promise of a great confidence. He had met the risen Lord. He knew that Jesus was alive from the dead. And he said, brethren, I'm here on trial because of the hope, the confidence, the assurance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul, I repeat, had met him and he knew he was alive. I tell you, if you've had an encounter with the risen Lord, regardless what happens around you, if you've got the confidence this morning that because he lives, you're going to live, that'll get you through about any dark hour you ever have to go through. Our sister talked about a while ago, we're going to sail on, amen? We're going to make it. He didn't say go out in the middle and go down. He said we're going to sail across. When she started singing, I, I look for a confirmation. Preachers know what I'm talking about. And because, you know, there's always two or three different avenues you could take in the same. And, and, and she started singing the Holy Spirit. And I'd already just said to him, I said, Lord, calm my own spirit. And she started singing. He said, that's, that's what I want this morning. I may be speaking to somebody I repeat this morning. You're in the midst of a crisis. Oh, someone called me two nights ago and said, Brother Hurt, 
And they couldn't talk for the brokenness. They'd just taken almost sudden in death a companion. Here they are in 40 years of age, 45. She was, he's 47. And the preacher, dear preacher friend, said, Brother Hurt, pray, pray. He, she, she finally got hold of herself, said, Frank died a little while ago. I went for his funeral three days later and preached his funeral. I can hardly believe he's gone. I preached a revival for him just a few months prior to that. I saw her last week near Louisville. They drove over there to where I was preaching. And her and her, her mother and her sister-in-law from the church. She said to me, Brother Hurt, you preached a sermon in our church. What to say when you don't know what to say. And then you suggested what Jesus said after raising that Father, glorify your name. And she stood there in tears. She said, that's become my message from God. I simply say to him, Father, glorify your name. As she walked away, I, I lifted my heart in praise to God. And I said, Lord, I'm glad you've given my sister what she needs through this crisis hour. I suggest the third ingredient that he had going for him, not only the power of a good conscience, the promise of a great confidence, but he had also the presence of a gracious companion with him. The night following, someone stood with him and someone said something to him. Note, note he said, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, be encouraged, literally, be, take courage, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Do you have the presence of this gracious companion? Let me just raise a very personal question. Has he said anything to you already on this Lord's Day morning? I'm suggesting, have you given him time? I like to call it quiet time. I like to call it morning watch. I like to call it that morning watch. They, they'd go get that manna early in the morning. If they waited a while, the dew came and disappeared. Do you give him priority time every day and let him stand by you and let him say something to you out of his word? You won't be able to cope when that crisis hour comes. You won't cope very well. You won't make him look very good if you don't let him day by day stand by you and speak to you. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall trip them up. Nothing shall make them stumble literally. Where's that kind of Victory come from, from the Word of God. I close with this. My mind goes back to a place in your state where the Lord will, and I'll be preaching starting this coming Wednesday through next Sunday morning near Livingston, Tennessee. We went in that area to vacation back years ago. We had some deacons who lived in the Dale Holler area. You fishermen all know where that's at. And we would go there, and there were some cabins available to us, and so we would get a cabin and stay a few days. We have three children. And uh, the, this goes back, our Becky, Becky will be uh, 23 this month, and uh, Becky would have been, to, she'd have been four, would have been four the fall after this took place in the, in the summer. We'd go there in July. We went this particular year and stayed for a week. And I recall driving through Louisville. I live in Indianapolis, so we took off early. We used to stay Monday through Friday night and go back on Saturday to be in the church on Sunday. Our boys were in the back seat. One would have been nine, one would have been six, and Becky would have been three. And so one of the boys spoke up and said, Dad, while we're down at the lake this week, let's camp out uh, one night. Paul said that. And I said, uh, you mean leave the cabin, Paul, go down on the lake and just, uh, just rough it? Just uh, Yeah, Dad, let's do that. I said, all right. Uh, you, you're not afraid? Oh, I'm not afraid. I know. And the other boy, 
No, Dad, we'll do that. So now it's Friday night. They remind me. And I said to Paul, I said, Paul, we don't have a tent. We don't have, we don't have anything to camp out with. We might order to wait. Oh, Dad, come on. The other boy said, Dad, you're not afraid, are you? And I said, no. No, that's not it. I'm not afraid. But, uh, so they, you know, they, they said, Dad, you, you promised. I said, all right. And so we got a few things together. And I called one of the deacon's families over. If you know anything about the Dale Harbor Lake, it's around Salina, Tennessee. It's around Livingston. It's around Albany, Kentucky. It's around Burksville, Kentucky, all in that area. And uh, so I called some folks over in the Burksville, Kentucky area and told them the predicament I was in. I said, we, we can't go down here on the lake because there's thousands of people all up in there, you know, vacationing. And so he said, man, I got the place for you. He said, there's no, it's, you know, a little island type thing back up there. And he said, We've got a place there where you can picnic and we've got a place fixed where you can get in the water. You can go swimming and said, man, there's a gate you can lock. There's no tourists. That's private property. said, you're welcome. And I said, it'll be after dark when I get there. We were committed for a while. And so we got there and got a key and rode down. He had a road for his tractor and wagon and everything. And we drove with a half a mile. Where was it going? Opened the gate, got out, closed that gate back. And I repeat, already dark corn hiring your head out there and, and woods all around here. I believe that's the darkest place I ever saw when I got out that night. And uh, I heard every kind of noise you could think about in those woods. And I'm a country boy, but I heard noises I didn't know existed in those woods. And uh, uh, we drove a little ways and going on over there, and it must be 10, 11 o'clock now. My wife thought of something we need in the car. And I said, well, the car is way back. Uh, well, we need this. And I said, all right. And boys, you watch your mom, and I'll take off. Becky, there's Becky. Three and a half. She said, Dad, I want to go with you. I said, Becky, the car's well. I don't care, Dad. I promise you, I'm not afraid. I said, come on. We took off. We got about as far as maybe the wall away from the fire we had there, and it's getting darker. Got a little further, and I felt uh, Becky's little old hand take hold of my pant leg. The little voice was just as nervous as it could be, full of fear. She said, Daddy, don't walk too fast. We got a little further, and she... She said, Daddy, take my hand. And I took her little old hand, and it's just like that. We got a little further, and still her voice was full of fright. I'm talking about fear not. We got a little further, and she said, Daddy, you love me, don't you, Daddy? I said, Becky, I love you with all my heart. Do you believe me if I told you that little girl said, Daddy, you're not going to take me way out here in this dark and run off and leave me, are you, Daddy? I said to Becky, I can hardly believe she's a 23-year-old young lady now. I said, Becky, I, I give you my word. I'm going to hold your hand all the way to the car and all the way back. That calmed that little girl. She didn't care if there's bears or whatever. Her daddy whoop anything in them woods. Amen. <laughs> have you let him stand by you and speak to you? And have you let him say to your fearful, needy heart, fear not? Stay alone. We're going to make it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. All over the room, God's people. God's people is in a moment of quietness, a moment of prayer. If God's saying something to you this morning, don't, don't miss Him. There's something about coming forward that sort of makes the commitment more real. I don't understand all that's involved in coming forward. But if God said something, you just want to come, maybe just come and bow to Him and talk to Him. 
Maybe bring a burden to him. Maybe bring a burden that belongs to someone that's dear to you. And we all know when someone we love hurts, it becomes our burden. You may just want to bring it and say, Lord, I want to take their place here before you. I'm grateful that he permits us to do that. I'm going to ask the preacher. He's going to come and extend the invitation however God leads him. I appreciated you this morning just praying for me. I I told the preacher earlier, I'm real hoarse. I picked up something that's just uh, uh, weakened my voice. And I'm grateful for your prayerful attention. Some are coming to talk to him. Don't miss God this morning. If you're unsaved, don't leave this room without Christ. He loves you so much he died in your place. If you're away from God, don't, go, don't leave this place still out of tune with God. If you've got a heavy burden you want to bring to him, I trust you'll do that. While the preacher comes and says the words, you just, just do what God's telling you to do.